Hello, 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 brothers and sisters. How y'all doing? This is Larry at Black Financial Initiative. I got Eric and I got T. We got a really good episode here today. Um, today we're recording on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, a great day, a great day, the day that our Lord and Savior rose. Also, today, for me, it's an exciting day. Is uh, the verses is Earth, Wind, and Fire <laughs> versus Isaac Brothers. If you know me, you know I love old school music. I think Eric and Terrence they do as well. Yes, yes sir. Shout out to New Birth. That's my that's my group. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But um, the last couple of years, Spotify they've they've done like your top five that you listen to every year, artists that you listen to, and Isaac Brothers have been number one or been a top five every year. So I'm extremely excited about this. That's enough of that. So I'm I'm gonna go ahead and we'll get back into business get to the money. <laughs> So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Terrence. All right. Thank you, Larry. So today's episode on this podcast, we're going to discuss more about some financial terms, a little bit about some uh, definitions. So as we mentioned before in previous episodes, previous podcasts, this is about us growing that financial growth and us bringing people along with us. And today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to grow and bring some people along with us because there's definitions, there's words that are used in the financial atmosphere and that and that universe as far as in the the realm of finances and investing and and trying to make sure that you're stacking your bread and you're saving up so people see those words like myself and are curious sometimes don't even know what they mean so what we've done today is compiled some some words that we wanted to look into and then tell you guys what we found out about them so i'm going to kick it off and start out with one of the words that i've seen thrown around a lot you see them in commercials posted up at banks and it is APR, which is annual percentage rate. So that is the first one I'm gonna start out with. And a lot of these, I was able to simply just kind of pull up Investopedia or Google and find some definitions. And I'm gonna show you a little bit of what I've actually seen. And this first one says uh, the APRs, you will hear it and see it when you sign up for a credit card, when you buy a house, apply for a small business loan. It's all over the place. I'm sure you've seen it and heard it. It's important because it's more telling than only knowing the plain interest rate. So you also hear about interest rates and you also hear about the APR, which is the annual percentage rate. And the annual percentage rate is going to be more important or more telling than that regular interest rate because the APR includes extra fees, such as origination fees and documentation fees or whatever that company or, or lending agent is going to, to use and tack on that you might not necessarily see. So you can compare interest rates to companies, but it might be apples to oranges, how a lot of companies will put it when you look up this definition and descriptions of it. They're going to say that just doing interest to interest is kind of like apples to oranges because one company not, may be hiding some certain fees, but when you put the APR in there, it's going to make it a little bit more uh, comparable. So yeah. it, it shines a light on the full picture. APR is effectively the total cost of borrowing. The interest rates only show how much you pay on interest in individual payments, but doesn't include the extra fees when it can drive up the APR if you add those extra fees. So just make sure you, you're taking into account those extra fees and if you don't know exactly what those extra fees are, that's okay. You know, do your best to look into it. But know that if you check in, uh, check out your APR and compare APRs, that's going to give you a better indication as far as how to measure which one you might need to go with. All right, what you fellas think about that? Who who want to go next? Um, I'll go next. I uh, I like that because one one that I have is kind of 
in that realm of uh, the APR, I went with calculations. I'm sure everybody knows calculations is a mathematical determination of the size or number of something. And so kind of similar to what T has for his APR, I kind of used APY, which is annual percentage yield. So I have as my example, I said, or one thing to do is to know how to calculate transactions, whether it's like your credit card, your mortgage, uh, any student loans, you know, your paycheck, all the stuff that they're deducting out of your paycheck is not at random. <laughs> you know, these are numbers that you can calculate, you can find out. And so I have, for instance, if you have a savings account that states that it will give you a 0.01 percentage annual percentage yield, which is the APY, and you have $1,000 in that account, your monthly interest will be one penny. And you get that by taking 1,000 times 0.01, that gives you 10 cents for the year. That's your APY. And then you take that 10 cents for the year divided by 12, 12 months in a year. That gives you 0.008333. They are round up to give you one penny. So know how these items are being calculated. I mean, anything involving numbers, which is kind of everything we're talking about, mortgages, uh, like I said, student loans, paychecks, et cetera, learn and know how to calculate these things. You know, if they're saying, you know, you can get this $30,000 car, well, we can, yeah, we can make that payment fit for you. Like know what they're doing to make that fit for you. Are they stretching it to give you extra months? Are they actually changing the amount? Are they moving some numbers around to where you think you're getting something good, but you're really not? Learn how to calculate those things. Do y'all have anything on that? Well, I'll say that was pretty, uh, pretty cool. Some good information to add in that. Uh, and I know you have some of your uh, your accounting counterparts out there listening, right? <laughs> salivating when they start started hearing those calculations. Okay. Well, yeah, so my my word, my first word is earnings. Um, this is this might be more of Eric's accounting background, <laughs> but uh, so a company's earnings are just after tax net income. Um, this is also called the bottom line or the profit. Um, it's found in the income statement. Earnings are the, the main determinant of a public company's share price, and investors care about earnings because it ultimately drives stock prices. If strong earnings generally, uh, stock price will go up, and, and, and vice versa. And that's not always true. We can look at companies like in the past, like Amazon, early in, in their uh, career, Amazon, they didn't have great earnings, but people believed in their story, continued to invest in them, so the stock price continued to go up. So it's not you know, always the same. They can be investing in the business to increase its earnings in the future, or they can be used to reward stockholders with dividends. Um, you have earnings seasons, uh, typically happens four times a year, quarterly. Publicly traded companies are required to do this by law. And there's a lot of different ratios that earnings are used in. I'm just gonna talk about a couple of them. The first one I'm gonna talk about is EPS, or earnings per share. It's a commonly cited ratio used to show the company's profitability on a per share basis. Is calculated by dividing the company's total earnings by the number of shares outstanding. Another common one is PE ratio or price to earnings. It's calculated as share price divided by earnings per share. It's used by investors to compare the relative values of companies in the same industry or sector. If you look at a company, two different companies, and all you look at is their earnings, it's going to be hard to compare them. That's why you use these different ratios, um, you know, kind of compare them. So the stock of a company with a high P.E. ratio relative to, relative to its industry peers may be considered overvalued. A company with a low price compared with its earnings might be appeared to be overvalued. And earnings alone, they don't tell the whole story. Like when you, when you look at a company, you want to look at more than just the earnings. You want to look at where the earnings is coming from. Uh, one big thing to look at is 
from uh, operations. Uh, for example, if a, let's say if a company, they have a, a piece of land that's valued uh, very high and, and, the, and that's where they're working out of and they sell that piece of land and then they purchase a piece of land that is worth less, their earnings is going to go up. But does that really tell a story? Like, is that really, are they really making more money through operations? So if you just look at that alone, you know, it doesn't really tell the story. Also, you want to look at um, the earnings from capital. An important aspect of EPS that is often ignored is the capital that's required to generate the earnings and the calculation. Two companies could generate the same EPS, but one could do so with fewer net assets. That company would be more efficient at using its capital to generate income. And all other things being equal, we'd be a better company in terms of efficiency. A metric that can be used to identify companies that are more efficient is return on equity or ROE. And I got, mo I got all this from Investopedia. Uh, that was my first word. So I'm going to pass it back to T unless you have anything else to say. Oh, yeah, man. I'll go, on, go ahead and pick up the baton on that one. So uh, as far as your earnings, but I, one thing that I noticed is similar to the first word I used with the APR, the annual percentage rate, is that you really have to look past just the initial first number that these companies will, will give you, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So uh, like I said, with the APR is that you can have your interest rate, but that's not completely telling. So you go another step further and you look at the APR. And that's the same thing you were saying with your earnings is you can have the earnings and it'll show you one thing and you say, man, this company is killing it or this company is not doing so hot. But you have to do a little bit more research and dig a little further and see what sector or what industry that company is in and compare it to the rest of its counterparts yeah. in, in that same sector or in that same industry, because you might be making X amount. Uh, and you think that's phenomenal and you want to <laughs> jump on, on board with this company. But at the same time, well, there's 10 other companies that make way more than this as far as their actual earnings. And, and then you also want to look at what their overhead costs are because you're bringing in this much. But we talked about before on an individual level, as far as kind of budgeting or whatnot, you have your income, but you also have how much you're spending. So you want to look at all of that. So that was a great job, I think, of explaining and going into a little bit of detail on the, the earnings standpoint. So moving forward on, on mine with the escrow is going to be my, my next word. So as we mentioned before, uh, my wife and I just recently uh, bought a house and there was a lot of talk about escrow and I didn't know what the hell that was. So, <laughs> so I had to dig a little bit and I'm going to share with you guys what I found out on, on escrow. So escrow is basically when, a, when an impartial third party holds on to something of value during a transaction. That's as simple as it as it gets right there. This is as straightforward as you can make that definition. And like I said, that's when an impartial third party holds on to something of value during transaction. So as for home homeowners, your mortgage company might set you up an escrow account for taxes and insurance after you close on your account. So like I just said, you have your taxes and your insurance that you also need to pay in addition to the mortgage that you're going to pay on just paying for the house. You have extra fees that go into that. And what your escrow account does holds on to that. That third party is holding on to that money. And you're going to pay that along with your mortgage every month because they're going to, they're going to ballpark or kind of estimate what your insurance and taxes are going to be at the end of the year. And if you're already putting that into their escrow account, then at the end of the year, you already have that money saved up and ready to, to be paid, so to speak, 
that's I guess one simple way of of putting that. So you wonder where that money is going and what that escrow account is. That's what that is. It's, it's holding on to that money uh, until it needs to be released, so to speak. You'll pay into it uh, every month as part of your monthly mortgage payment. It keeps you from having to remember to budget and pay for your property taxes and insurance each year. So as far as far as uh, buying a house, an example from Zillow, uh, where I found this definition, this example, is when you make an offer on a home, you will write an earnest money check that you will be paid in escrow. So that means it isn't going directly to the seller, but it's being held by an uh, impartial third party until you and the seller negotiate a contract and close the deal. You can't touch it and the seller can't touch it either. It's in the escrow. So that kind of protects both of you guys. In case something happens and the deal falls through, a third party person has that money instead of you. It's too late. You've already handed over that money to someone else. Deal falls through and you want to back out or something like that. That's where the escrow comes, comes into play. So the escrow can be used in different, different areas and in different ways. So I just mentioned as far as when you buy the house and you're paying for your mortgage and also when you're trying to make a deal, the escrow can also be used. So I hope that enlightens, uh, you know, shines a little bit more light onto how escrow is used and what it means, because I, I didn't know. And like I said before, we're, we're going to kind of mature and grow as we learn a little bit more about finances and some of these definitions. I think that's a good one. I think that's, uh, I think the escrow is kind of what people forget when they're speaking about like buying a house or something. They always say, oh yeah, your, your mortgage will be cheaper than you know, than what you're renting for or whatever. And, you know, I'm, I think a lot of times they're probably strictly talking about what you owe the bank and not talking about like the property taxes that you must pay, homeowners insurance, which you have to pay, HOA fees, which you have to pay. And like, once you add up all of that, I'm like, well, that's, that's <laughs> over. <laughs> that's probably over what you're renting, you know, considering, you know, wherever you live. But I think all that, that escrow is what kind of, you know, I think people kind of gloss over. And me, as, as far as I know, escrow, I kind of think of it as like your taxes in some way, like your personal taxes, like you pay those every month because at the end of the year, you owe X amount of dollars. And, and so that's the same thing here. You're paying the homeowner's insurance or whatever property taxes, because at the end of the year, when they send you the bill, like you owe X amount of dollars. So it's the same kind of concept is the way I think of it. I like that. Ooh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, as far as my next word, um, I chose... I chose net assets, but um, when I looked it up on Investopedia, that was more so relating to like businesses. So I went with net, net worth, which is more so for the individual. Um, and we've spoken about net worth before. Um, Investopedia says it's an individual's, uh, an individual's net worth is simply the value that is left after subtracting liabilities from assets. Um, liabilities are any debt that you owe. An asset is the actual thing that you have. So like the house, would be the asset compared to the, the mortgage on it, which is your debt. And so I have an example. I said, for example, if your vehicle is valued at 25,000 right now, like on the market, you look it up like Kelly Blue Book or something. If it's valued at 25,000, but you owe $10,000 on it in a car loan, your net asset or your net worth or value on that is 15,000. Take the 25,000 that is worth minus what you owe on it, which is 10,000. That leaves you with 15000 If you're doing like an overall net worth thing, you know, you can go into like your portfolio, your house, your car, anything you have a value, cash in the bank, all that considered, all that is considered part of your net worth. Yeah, you did a little foreshadowing right there for me. 
uh, we'll get into it, but you, you mentioned portfolio. So <laughs> go ahead and mention now that that's what I'll be talking about later <laughs> on. So, so thank you for setting me up. Yeah, you know, got the got to give you the assist. There you go, there you go. Well, I guess I'll go now. Um, so mine is intentional. And Eric gave me some crap during the week talking about that's not a finance word. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like I said, it's not really a finance word, but I think we can use it really any aspect of our life. Um, I love this word. Uh, Bradford mentioned it as well in um, one of the episodes we had with him. The definition is just done by intention or design. Some synonyms are conscious, deliberate, and purposeful. We need to be intentional with, with our time, with our careers, our education, invest, investing, excuse me, et cetera. Let's say if we have a goal to pay off debt, we need to be intentional about doing our budget. We need to be intentional about where we're putting the money to pay off the debt. Um, want to invest, we need to be intentional about studying what we're investing in and then and, and be intentional in, you know, placing the money where it needs to go to invest, be intentional in doing it as often as we uh, say we need to do it. And just something as simple as retiring. If we're not intentional during our careers, we, we won't be able to retire or at least not retire comfortably. Um, I, know, I know we see a lot of people who are, um, they might be working part-time in, in their you know, later years um, because they can't just retire or they might really be dependent on social security. Um, and one reason is because, you know, I mean, I, not everybody's not going to be the same. So I'm not trying to paint a big picture, but, you know, it may not have been intentional during their careers, putting back money, investing money, mm -hmm. if, if they were, if there was available to do it. We're thirties, forties, whatever age we are, we need to be intentional about our savings, our investing, our paying off debt. Um, that way we can just, just retire comfortably not even, maybe not even be rich or financially independent, but just retire. So we need to do some research on our, the type of life we want to live, you know, find a plan and be intentional in, in working that plan. So that was, that was my word, intentional. All right. So yeah. on intentional, um, I'll say that I think that was a great job on thinking outside the box, not yeah, that's what I was about uh, accounting or finance, financial definition or uh, definition or word. So great job on that. But I definitely agree we need to be intentional. And as I mentioned before, portfolio was going to be one of my words. You need to be intentional on your portfolio. And it's, it's never assist too late. Assist. Yes, <laughs> assist. Off, off the backboard, baby. Off right. the backboard. Passing it around the three, hit that corner. <laughs> so uh, we'll go with portfolio. And, and all these words are interconnected. So you need to be intentional about your portfolio. Uh, and you need to know when and how to uh, go about it and preparing that por portfolio. It's never too late, never too early. Actually, the sooner the better. Uh, that way you can already start building and, and accruing that those savings. So what is a portfolio? Because you're going to hear that a lot and you're going to see that a lot. And this is another definition where I started to do a little bit of research. And the best one I saw was from Investopedia. So Shout out because we, <laughs> we each have come across Investopedia. Yeah. Uh, Great but yeah, right. So from Investopedia, a portfolio is a collection of financial investments like stocks, bonds, commodities, cash and cash equivalents, including closed end funds and exchange traded funds, which are ETFs. Uh, people generally believe that stocks, bonds and cash comprise the core of a portfolio, though this is a often is often the case. It does not need to be the rule. A portfolio may contain a wide range of assets, including real estate, uh, which is right up my buddy Larry's alley with the real estate <laughs> art. So someone can own some expensive art, be worth some 
some money and you can get get that appraised and that can that can be included in your portfolio and you also have your private investments so you may choose to hold and manage your portfolio yourself or you may allow a money manager financial advisor which we've had a, a financial person on our on our show uh CPA or another uh, financial professional to manage your por portfolio. So all portfolios should have some level of diversification in them and reflect your tolerance for, for risk. So whenever you're dealing with money, there's going to be some sort of risk um, and you just have to assess how much you're comfortable with and how much you can afford to risk. So and that's what you need to keep in, in mind for your portfolio. And when I mentioned di diversification, because there's different levels of, of risk associated with different, different methods of, of preparing that portfolio, uh, comprising that portfolio, like we mentioned, cash, ETF, stocks, bonds, whatnot, they all have a different level of risk. And you don't want every bit of your portfolio to be <laughs> high risk, <laughs> boom or bust, you know. <laughs> right. That's that's not going to be ideal, depending on your situation. Maybe you're okay with that, but if if you have all of your money tied up into one stock, one specific stock, and that stock tanks, all your money goes along with it. So you want to diversify as much as possible. Um, that way, you can limit that risk. And there's different ways of diversifying. You can go with, like I said, different types of stocks. You can um, go with mixing it with stocks, with ETFs and bonds or whatnot, just make sure you diversify. That way you're not all tied in in one, one way that could potentially lose everything or limit yourself. And then also if you diversify, you might have some of your money in something that's, that's starting to blow up and doing really well for yourself. And so at least you made sure you had some, some money growing some, somewhere. And then also you have some some different areas that do not have as much risk. They might not grow as much, but they don't have a, a lot of risk with them. So, you know, at the end, at least you're not going to lose money. So All right. definitely diversify with your portfolios and, and limit your, your tolerance for that risk, depending on what your risk level is. So typically the younger you are, maybe the more risk you're able to take because you ideally have more time on the back end to make that money up if you lose it. And you're not making that much money early. Most people, <laughs> most people, I wasn't, aren't making that much money early on. So you're, you're 18, 19, 20, you, you're doing an entry level job, or maybe you're 21, 22, whatever, you just finished college. And again, you're doing an entry level job. So you're not bringing in a whole lot uh, at that age. And so you're able, you're, and you probably haven't established a family, it's just you. You, you lose a little bit of money. You can still afford to eat. You, you're fine. You're good. You don't have a mortgage. You don't, you're not worried about losing a house. So you, you can risk a little bit more. But as you get older, you establish yourself. You have, uh, you've been promoted. You make more money. You have a family to have to take care of. You have a mortgage you have to worry about. You probably don't want to risk as much. And you maybe you're getting closer to retirement. You sure don't want to risk and lose everything because, well, now I got to push out retirement another 10 years because I got to make back everything I just just earned. So the older you get, typically the less risk you're going to take.
typically early on, you will take more risks because you have more time to make it up and you have less responsibility, so to speak, to uh, <laughs> worry about if you risk losing it. So that's just the, the spill on portfolio. Basically, it's just the accrual or just that sum of all your different investments or, or ways of making money. And I think that's key, uh, what you were stating, to diversify, basically. You know, at different times of life, you know, you your risk changes or even when you have a portfolio, like just diversify so you don't hold everything into one field, I guess. And going back to what Larry was saying about intentional, when he first sent out the, the words, I was like, hey, that's not a financial word. <laughs> then, you know, then he told me about it. Uh, so that was all that, that inspired me. So I have something like that later on. Um, but my word, my word right now is gross. I put two words. It's kind of two words in one. I put gross slash net pay. Now, so gross pay is the, the total pay your employer uh, pays you before tax and other deductions. And net pay refers to your um, your income after taxes and deductions. Basically, what hits your bank account is your net pay. Um, and I have an example here. I said, let's say you get a job making $10 an hour. After two weeks, you've made $800. That's your gross pay. $10 an hour, 40 hours for both weeks. That's 80 hours, 80 times 10, $800. That's your gross pay. That's not really what's hitting your bank account, though. <laughs> So now after, now after you have like your taxes taken out, your insurance, if there's a 401k you paying into, all of that hit your all of that is taken out. Now $600 is deposited into your bank account. That's your net pay. So net pay is what's actually hitting your bank account. Gross pay is probably what you like have on your job records of you making $10 an hour or 50,000 a year or whatever they tell you. So that's what I have for that. It seems to me that those definitions should have been should have been switched. Whoever made those uh, up initially, <laughs> because you would think after after they start taking out your money and you get what's left over, then that's that's what's gross. That's what's nasty. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's funny. I've seen a, I've seen a meme of like some uh, I forget it was some type of vegetable, like leafy vegetable, and they had like before they cooked it, they had this is your gross. Then they cooked it down to where it shrivels, and they're like, "This is your net." Yeah, that was uh, the spinach meme. I right? Yeah, I there we go. Yeah. So that always makes me laugh when I see that. I was like, "Yeah, that's true." I think that's important because a lot of, I don't know, loans and stuff you you might fill out or paperwork you fill out, they're going to ask you, and you need to know which one's which. So it's mm -hmm. important. So my next one is equity. So there's different types of equity. Um, so first, I'm going to talk about uh, shareholders' equity represents the amount of money that would be returned to a company's shareholders if all the assets were liquidated and all the company's debt was paid off in the case of liquidation. Uh, you can find it on a company's balance sheet and it's uh, one of the main determinants of financial health of a company. Um, look at this equation here. Shareholders equity equals total assets minus total liabilities. Sounds like something uh, Eric talked about earlier. Oh my God, that's like school <laughs> all over again, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm learning, I was learning about it myself. So I, it really caught my eyes. I mean, that's, that's not like net worth to me. So equity is a capital is used as capital raised by a company, uh, which then can be used to purchase assets, invest in projects and fund operations. A firm can typically raise capital by issuing debt, which is could be uh, bonds or loans or equity by selling stocks. Investors typically prefer um, equity investments. It provides greater opportunity to share in the profits and growth of a firm. 
Uh, equity is important because it represents the value of an investor's stake in a company, represented by the proportions of the company's shares. Owning stock in a company gives shareholders the potential for capital gains as well as dividends and also the right to vote in corporate actions. So that was shareholders equity. Now I'm going to go into something that I'm more familiar with, home equity. And um, a home's current, this is what home equity is, a home's current value minus the amount owed on a mortgage or other liens. Um, so for example, let's say if you buy a house for $100,000, you put 20% down, which is $20,000. You have 20% or $20,000 of equity within that house um, at the beginning of the, at the beginning. Now you'll get more appreciation or excuse me, more equity through price appreciation, which we talked about appreciation before. Um, it's just uh, your home equity grows in proportion to the price of your home. Uh, you can use forced appreciation, which is just uh, fixing the house up or just natural appreciation, which houses normally typically grow three to 5% every year. So, or, or on average at least. Um, also you can get equity by loan down, loan payment. So at the beginning of your a loan of your mortgage. Uh, you're typically, when you pay, most of it's going to go to your interest, but eventually more of it's going to go to your principal. And once you pay it down your principal more, that's when your equity is going to start to to grow. And there's ways of doing it faster too. You can do accelerated payments instead of you know paying 12 times a year, what most people do. You might pay you pay, might pay 24 times a year or 26 and a half times per year. So that's one way of increasing your equity. And there's ways to get equity out of your house. One way is just sell your home. So when, once you sell your house, the, the amount of um, equity that you have, that's what you would get. You won't get, you know, the full amount of purchase or of the sale price, uh, just the equity that you have in the house. That's how much you receive or, or that you can use for your next house. Um, also, you can borrow against equity, like a HELOC loan. Uh, you, you can also get cash and use it to fund just by anything with a home equity loan, also known as a second mortgage. This allows you to tap into your home equity while still living in your home. Me personally, I'm not a, a big fan of that, but everybody's different. So if it's something that you um, feel like you might want to tap into, then you know, do your research. I got uh, the stuff from shareholders equity from Investopedia. I got the stuff from home equity from the balance.com. All right, I guess I'm next, I'm next, huh? Yeah, you next up. Well, first of all, I, ju I just have to acknowledge you guys for such an, uh, an amazing job, this teamwork. I feel like I'm working with like, Rajon Rondo and, and Chris <laughs> Paul, or I, I don't know, Jason Kidd. I don't know. Just, just the, the perfect just assist that you guys are putting up right now because Larry just came with it again. I love the assist on the, on the stocks, which is my next word. So you talked about the equity and you talked about shareholders. So I'm going to take that assist and I'm going to go ahead and just jam it in. All right. So <laughs> stocks is my next word. And I got a lot of this from Investopedia again, because they have kind of the best definitions that I saw. But as far as stocks go, the corporations issue will issue or sell stocks to raise funds to operate their businesses. Uh, the holder of the stock, which is the shareholder, as Larry just mentioned, has now bought a piece of the corporation and depending on the type of shares held, may have a claim to part of it, the assets and earnings. In other words, a shareholder is now an owner of the issuing company to a certain degree, depending on how many, how much stock they have. So ownership is determined by the number of shares a person owns relative to the number of outstanding shares. So for example, if a company has 1,000 shares of stock outstanding and one person owns 100 shares, so one person has 100 of that 
thousand shares, that person would own and have claim to 10% of the company's assets and earnings. So to break it down, when you buy stocks, you're buying a piece of the company, so to speak. You're, you're buying your, your part of ownership in that company. You're not going to get a whole lot of, <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, you mean if I buy some Amazon stock, I can't talk to Bezos. Can't talk to Jeff like that. Uh, well, but maybe not to him directly. I'm, <laughs> you can, you have a right to attend shareholder. Well, listen in on shareholders meetings. <laughs> maybe you can click a like button that. and and cast your vote. It's it's like the election. It's it's like the government <laughs> election. Yeah, you, know, like you get to vote. You have a say. So. Uh, but there's a lot of votes out there so, <laughs> and you only have one, but that, that basically sums up as far as stocks and how they play and how, how that definition kind of rolls out. That's how I interpreted it. And Larry mentioned it. And I just wanted to kind of elaborate on a little, on it a little bit as far as the shareholders go. And that's why they're called shareholders, because when you buy a stock, you have a, you hold a share of that company. So look at it that, that way. Uh, so per nerd wallet, so I'm gonna switch it up a little bit and go with nerd wallet on this one. A stock is an investment when you purchase a company's. So it's an investment. And when you purchase a company stock, you're purchasing a small piece of the company, which is called a share. So investors purchase stocks in companies that they think will go up in value. If that, if that happens, the company's stock increases in value as well. The stock can then be sold for a profit. So that pretty much sums it up very nice and neat, I think. Basically, you buy a little part of the company, depending on how many shares that company has outstanding, how much, and depending on how much of that you buy is then basically your percentage of the company that you hold, which is a lot of times very, very, very negligible. Because <laughs> these companies can have millions of, of stocks out there and, and you just bought 100, you know, so. But still, you, when you're buying a stock, you're not going to buy for anything and everything. You're looking and, and assessing which companies are doing the best uh, for their industry and for their sectors. You know, some sectors are going to do better than others, depending on the, the market, the politics, different policies put in, uh, just the climate of, of what people are buying, what's hot, what's not. Um, so different sectors are going to do, do hotter or be hotter. And then within that sector or industry, there's going to be companies that outperform other companies. And you want to look for those. You want to look for different sectors, different industries, and you want to look for what companies are, are on their way up. And that's what you want to invest in. You want to, I mean, think about it. It's, it's you buying a piece of the company. Who wants to buy a crappy company? If you were buying a whole company, you wouldn't buy a piece of crap. I mean, so right. <laughs> Oh man, let me buy this whole sinking company right now. It's tanking. <laughs> like, no, that makes no sense. So, so if you see a company is on the way up, like if you use their product, you love their product, you know other people love it. That's one way of looking at it. So just uh, keep that in mind when you buy that stock. And that's that's my conclusion. Uh, how I jammed it down after getting that assist from the, from the point man. <laughs> right. I like it. I like it. And that's almost back to like your diversification. Uh, their portfolio, you know, that you mentioned, yes. you know, watching those companies getting getting into certain brackets and stuff. I like it. Look at their earnings. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Full circle. Full yeah. circle. If, if, if you notice, a lot of these we're mentioning are calculation. <laughs> <laughs> Earning, earnings per share. Yeah, yeah. I, ca yeah, I caught yeah, that. True. I caught that. There you go. There you go. Uh, my next word or slash words are um, defined contribution slash benefit plans. 
And those are employer-sponsored retirement plans. And there's basically two major ones. Either you're in a defined contribution plan or you're in a defined uh, benefit plan. A defined contribution, and this is from Investopedia. That was the main hit up, I think, (laughs) for most of us. I had a shout out for Nerd Wallet. Oh, yeah, you did. You did. (laughs) Um, A defined contribution plan allows employees and employers if the if the employee wants to, or if the employer wants to do it um, to contribute and invest funds over time to save for retirement, a defined contribution plan um, provides a specified amount in retirement. Um, basically, and for the examples, the key difference of it is which party has um, bears the investment risk and the cost of administrating administration for the plan. So the defined contribution plan is more so the employee has the risk. And defined benefit plan is more so the employer. And for a defined contribution plan, an example of that is the 401k. Pretty much everybody's heard of the 401k. That's a defined contribution plan. You can contribute your employer, if they offer it, you can contribute to it. They can, some companies match up to a certain amount. Um, but basically, that's like the thing that they set up for you to retire. You know, you kind of get to pick and choose, you know, I want to invest in this plan or do this or whatever. That's kind of up to you. Um, with the defined benefit plan, the um, the employee still pays an amount in retirement, but there's no matching like that. Now, what happens with that, that's more similar to a pension for anyone that's heard of a pension. That's basically like for every year you work, you get, let's say, 2% of like your, it's like a formula to it. So it'll say for every year you work, you get 2% for those years, for each year. And then it's the, they figure that out from the average of like your last three year salary. So let's say the last three years you're making that you average out to a hundred thousand, you know, you work, let's say 30 years. So you get 60% of that for the rest of your life. So there's, you know, no cutoff point or anything like that. Whereas with the 401k, unless you convert that to like an annuity for, you know, whatever X amount, you know, you will eventually run out of that money. That's pretty much it. Like I mentioned before, defined contribution plan is what most people have now. Pensions are very uncommon. You see most of those probably in like government. Um, government entities, but everyone now is on the 401k, I think more so because that puts the pressure on the employee, you know, to do something rather than the employer wanting to take that that risk. You taught me something there. I, I've always heard of pensions, but I never really knew, you know, how they how they work. So you <laughs> oh, yeah. They used to be like real big way back. But I think, you know, yeah. as time goes on, the corporations and stuff are like, no, nah, we don't want to give that out. You know, that's a good deal. So they, they're like, yeah, let's just convert to this. But yes, yeah, it's very rare to see now. Yeah, I've I've worked at some places where uh, you hear some of the old heads, so to speak, that have mm-hmm. uh, talk about, oh, we used to get this on as far as our benefits and the pension, and they stopped doing it, and they talk about how good the pension right. was. <laughs> right. So, so some people may have made the wrong decision or got duped in a way where they the company presents them with this opportunity to to, to switch over and. It was mm-hmm. all wrapped up and presented well when they switched over. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, man, I missed right. out. I should have kept that pension. Right, right. Well, that's, I think that's pretty much how they did it. Like, it's it's overwhelmingly now defined contribution plans, 401ks. And I know there's, like, other ones, you know, any IRA, anything like that now. That's pretty much the common way that companies are doing now. All right. So my, my next one is – once again, may not be really a financial term, but it definitely can be used in financial. And you might ask why I use a word that I can't pronounce. So, uh, great <laughs> uh, reciprocity. But um, so close enough. 
Yeah, right. We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> exactly. But um, so I just um, just a few books I've read in the last few years um, that word just kept on coming up. So I said, um, man, this, this is an important word. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a book that we've uh, reviewed. It talks about that. Powernomics. It talks about that. Uh, a book that I've read for uh, sales. It's called Influence. It talks about it. So um, the definition is the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefits, especially privileges granted by one country or organization to another. We can use this, for instance, like um, like I use this as a salesman, or you can use it in your business if you're a business owner, and probably other aspects of life as well. We use we actually do use it every aspect of life, just um, in social. But as far as pertaining to money and uh, business, if you're a business owner, there's an example of uh, samples, excuse me, free samples. So I'm, I'm sure all of us have walked through the grocery store and people have given you free samples. Now, when they give you a free sample, they do want you to try it and see if you like it and everything. But also they're using that law of uh, reciprocation. I'm gonna use reciprocation. Uh, they're using reciprocation because there's a chance that you feel obligated to purchase it. You, you may or may not feel obligated, but there is a chance you feel obligated to purchase it, even if you didn't even like it, because they gave you a gift. So um, so that's that's something that a business owner, you might better use within your business. And depending on, you know, obviously if you don't sell food, you, you know, but maybe some type of service, something you can use. Mm -hmm. And they don't even have to, you don't even have to like the person. The law is so strong, you don't necessarily even have to like that person. It's just, it's a very strong law to where you just feel obligated to return the favor. So I'm going to read some quotes from the books that I mentioned earlier. So Powernomics just says, they should require that any business, political party, or political candidate who seeks or benefits from Black support always identify Blacks by name, commit, and in reciprocity, deliver tangible, measurable benefits to Black Americans. So that's how Powernomics used that word. Rich Dad, Poor Dad says, whenever you feel short, or in need of something, give what you want first, it will come back in buckets. This is true for money, a smile, love, friendship. I know it's often the last thing a person may want to do. It has always worked for me. I just trust that the principle of reciprocity is true and I give what I want. So that's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And from the book Influence I talked about, it says we should try to repay in kind what another person has provided for us. If someone does a favor, we should do in one in return by virtue of the reciprocity rule, then we are obligated to the future repayments of favors, gifts, invitations, and the like. And it's such a strong and powerful, I don't know, influence. They said that this is in every aspect of life. Every, what do you call that? Every human society uses this. So, mm -hmm. um, it, so we can use this with our business as well. So that was my word, reciprocity. I like that. Uh, I, all think right, no. I think that's very true. Like it's, I think we do it all the time. We just don't think of it like, you know, and as far as those actual term, but you know, like as you, you know, if you're helping some, if you're helping somebody out, when it's your time to get help, you know, like you probably know like who's going to show up or who to call on. Like, you know, you've did certain things for them or whatever. Like you just say more, you probably think of it more like a favor, you know, but it's, it works its way back to you. And, you know, you have that feeling of, yeah, if I do this now, you know, when it's my turn to get something, you know, they'll, pay it back or whatever like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that do. was a good one. Yeah, most time yeah. they do. Yeah, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Huh? Right, exactly. But uh, Larry, I'm, before I move on and get to my last word, I'm, I'm going to help you out with that word. If you ever want to know it or hear it, <laughs> Lauren Hill, X Factor. Yeah, so, oh, classic album. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So let, let me just break it down real quick from, <laughs> from the, the queen herself. Well, break it down, break it down. Tell me who I have to be, who I have to be to get some reciprocity. <laughs> See, no one loves you more than me, more than me. And no one ever will. No one ever will. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> now, hey. A little, little spoken word reciprocity from X Factor. Lauren there we Hill. go. I've heard that song a million times. I never, never clicked for me. <laughs> That's the only way I know it. So <laughs> it was in your subconscious, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, all right. So I'm, now that we had a little, a uh, little bit of Lauren Hill for you guys, I'm going to move on to to bond. A uh, bond is my next word. So. You know, a couple of words ago, I went with portfolio. So I decided I was going to stick with that theme a little bit. And I went with uh, stocks after that. And then with bonds, because stocks and bonds are the probably the two most common type of contributions in a portfolio. And a bond is a fixed income instrument that represents a loan made by an, an investor to a borrow, borrower, which is uh, typically a corporate or government and a bond could be thought of as an IOU. We'll just talk about that reciprocity. <laughs> so here's that IOU between the lender and bar borrower that includes the details of the loan and its payment. So bonds are used as used by companies, municipalities, uh, states, and sovereign governments to finance projects and operations. So owners of bonds are debt holders or creditors of the issuer. So the bond details include the end date. So that's when the bond agreement is basically over with and when the principal of the loan is due to be paid to the bond owner and usually includes the terms for variable or fixed interest payments made by the borrower. And they're typically uh, fixed. So one way of thinking of that is, is, you know, when we're used to us to we the people borrowing money from some company or some entity and and you know how that goes when you break it down that way everybody can 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 jive and get get down with that you know that all right man if i go borrow this uh this amount of money from this payday loan or whatever or from this lender this mortgage they're going to charge me an interest on it so to speak and and then when i'm gonna have to pay it back and i pay back this interest on it kind of the same principle when it comes down to to how bonds work except for the roles that reverse is that you can get that bond and and the government or whoever needs to to make some money instead of them selling a stock uh, a stock which as we mentioned before a stock can go up or down it's more of an investment in the the company to your bet that they're going to continue to grow and and you're going to make money off of that stock, a bond is already telling you up front how much you plan on, how much you're going to get at the end of that term. So it's, it's the company basically saying, hey, we, we need some money. We need an influx of money. They do the same thing with the stock is that, well, we'll sell stocks and people uh, will pay this. And then we have some money to use for now. And then when the money comes back, these people have a, a share within our company and they'll get paid from that. But a little bit difference with the bond is is there's a term on it and you already know what that interest rate is is going to be on it so governments at all levels and corp and corporations commonly use bonds in order to, to borrow money 
uh, governments need to fund roads, schools, dams, or other infrastructure. Uh, the sudden expense of war may also demand the need to raise funds, and that that need to raise funds may result in them having to sell some bonds uh, for people to buy them bonds and uh, and get the money that way for that moment. That's one way you can add to your portfolio is going to be a little bit less risk because you already know what that that interest rate is going to be and how much you're going to get back from it at the end of that that term. The only thing is, it's because it's more secure and has less risk. Typically, the less uh, risk means the lower the return on it. So no risk, no reward. So less risk, less reward. <laughs> and sometimes you go boom or bust. So you want to mix that into your, your portfolio. You can't go all in or you shouldn't go all in. Do what you do. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you can throw it all into something very high risk and hope that it comes out perfect on the other end and you now become a millionaire. Uh, or you can go a little bit safer and get you some CDs, some bonds, hope that, well, not hope, but know that at the end of a year, two years, whatever, you're going to get your money back, the principal and your, your interest and not have that's to risk point. anything. Oh. oh, that's it. That's it, Larry. And I was going to say, and depending on who you talk to, the experts will tell you you need to have a certain amount of stocks, a certain amount of bonds within your portfolio. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they go right, obviously, hand in hand. So. Yeah, I like that. Oh, I was just gonna say that's that's all I had. That was my last shot. Last last shot. <laughs> well, I'll take I'll take my last one here. My last word since I mentioned to you all that uh, Larry inspired me when he put intentional in there. Uh, my word is people. I won't insult you with uh, <laughs> doing a definition <laughs> of people. <laughs> what is but, that? Uh, <laughs> I'll just give you like some examples and a lot of it relates to exactly what Larry was talking about. Um, I put networking or being around people that are doing stuff that you want to do or that are people that have information that you want. I put normally people are connected and have positive relationships with certain people in positions that they've reached. You know, meaning if you've been promoted at your company, you most likely know certain type of people or you have a good vibe at your company. Like it's not like you're being promoted and people don't like you. You know, if you if you may be a great worker, you know, and people know that, but they probably don't want to deal with you. If you don't have positive relationships or nice relationships with people, you know, most likely you're not going anywhere. As far as even being around people that have information that you want or that you want to learn from people, you know, strike up conversations with people, you know, ask them, hey, how did you do this? How did you do that? You'll be surprised by how much people are willing to talk or tell you, you know, sometimes people are just waiting with that information there, but nobody asks. You know, and so if you don't ask, <laughs> you know, you don't ask, they don't tell. Closed mouths don't get fed. Exactly. So, <laughs> the, the, the same concept, you know. So just be mindful of the people that you're around, you know, start networking with people, even in even in outside the job. You know, different people in different lanes, you know, you never know. And like Larry said, you know, if there's something you can do for these people when your time comes, a lot of times they'll give it back to you. Um, so I think people are very 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 key and i mean i've mentioned all the time like you see these nba coach like for sports in particular you know you see all these people being hired and stuff and a lot of times you'll notice that oh they work with this person 10 years ago or they work with this person has a coaching tree that they were under they like all these people are related they didn't just pick this person out of the blue <laughs> you know to to come be the coach yeah exactly you know this person 
they know them somehow or, you know, they were a quality control coach here or even look at government. I mean, these people know each other and have worked with each other for so long. Like, you know, these people aren't just kind of out of the blue, you know, being picked. Normally, you know, they work their way up. They've made connections with different people. You know, now they're in a position that they're in. So people are, I think, very important. To, uh, I think people are very important to us financially. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Who you know, man. <laughs> it's who you know. Very important. And then another thing to that point, a lot of people, a lot of times older than us, they've gone through stuff. They've learned stuff. Mm-hmm. They've hit their head, you know, doing stuff. And, you know, we can learn from them and not make the same mistakes or exactly. you know, whatnot just by talking to people, learning from people that, like you said, just, you know, just talking to people. Yeah. So. I mean, I'd rather talk to an older head and get the knowledge and not have to go through it. Like, you know, that'll <laughs> save you time, save you money. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, um, so my last word for me, this is like my goal financially is financial independence. So I, I want to conclude. Great with that. word. Great word. Yeah. So uh, financial independence is real simple. The meaning just means you no longer have to work for money. And um, similar to that term, um, Eric did wealthy early in, early in a podcast. Um, so similar to that term, but um, it's real simple, like the, the concept uh, minimize spending, you know, so minimize your spending, minimize your debt, maximize your income. So we, you know, figure out how to do that within your career or, you know, get a new career or get new side hustles and everything and invest, invest the money to where your assets pay for your lifestyle. Um, when I first started learning about money, I kept on coming across this term called FIRE, uh, it's financial independent, retire early. And, um, and it was crazy. Like people were retiring, like in their thirties. I said, man, this is crazy. I don't know how this is happening. <laughs> and then, um, so I said, well, let me, let me do all the research. You know, I don't plan to retire in my 30. If I could, I would, but I don't plan to retire, you know, 30 something, but let me see what they're doing. Maybe something I can get from what they're doing. It might be able to help me. Um, so I came across this book called your money, your life by Vicky Robin. And this book really is extremely important in my life. It helped me realize, like come up with a plan for, for my wife and I's real estate to retire, not in their 30s, but, you know, like in the 50s and whatnot. So money is something that you trade your life energy for. So what, what they're saying is, um, you know, you spend a lot of time at work, commuting, even like just lunches and stuff for work. Like you spend a lot of time, you know, just around work. So, you know, we, we, we want to do is get away from that. So we don't have to work and we just spend time doing stuff that we like. Establish the actual cost and time and money required to maintain your job or jobs and compute your real hourly wage. Like I said, you you actually spend more time, more money than you actually think about it unless you actually compute it, calculate it like Eric in one of his words. Um, (laughs) It doesn't mean getting more money or less money. It means knowing how much money is enough money for you to have a life you love now and in the future. When you are financially independent, the way money functions in your life is determined by you, not your circumstances. You control uh, your life. Um, And this is just an excerpt I I thought was pretty cool from the book. Um, It says, as I study the fire movement, I've seen its bones, three strands, frugality, simplicity, and self-sufficiency. And I I know all of us love that word frugality. So that really stood out to me. So, uh, (laughs) but yeah, so. Yeah, that was that was my term financial independence. Like I said, I think all of us are trying to become that. So um, that was my word. Yeah, well, that's part of you know the the reason we're we're having this and we're trying our best to uh, be financially intelligent and and literate. And and that's 
because we want to be financially independent one day. So yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Um, I think that's all of our words, if I, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think that was. I think you were the last one, Larry. You guys have anything else to say? Uh, no, I don't know of any. At least for me, I don't know of any um, current events right now as far as financial. I mean, there's always financial stuff going on in the world, but nothing big right now that I can that I can think of. I mean, I guess. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I guess since our last podcast, the stimulus, the third round of stimulus checks have been approved. So I think they've been deposited or coming by coming to people by mail or whatever by now. But that's probably it for me. That's it, man. You know, and this, like this, um, these financial terms, these this is like an ongoing, I'll say like series or something. So we'll be doing these every now and then, you know, to to kick out more terms. Yeah, reach out to us on, on social media. Is there if there's any words that you you guys want to you know talk about? Let us know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and obviously the same way we did. People can look them up. It's just it's different sometimes when you hear a different perspective or someone sum them up because sometimes the people that write them out are are financial gurus and experts and they're not, they're not rephrasing it in the way for the for the coming man. So uh, sometimes it's good just to hear someone else kind of paraphrase yeah definitely all right well i think that's i think that's gonna do it so as always we really appreciate you guys for listening continue to listen tell a friend subscribe give us a five-star rating on apple check out our instagram our facebook we'll be talking to you again thank you bye peace peace out